You are listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're bringing you an interesting episode on educating on climate change with Nicole Berg and Kimberly Howard. Nicole Berg is the Programs Manager for Climate Change and Climate Justice at Portland Public Schools, where she leads efforts to support the school board's groundbreaking climate literacy resolution. For today's episode, Berg is joined in this interview by Kimberly Howard, the Project Zero Program Manager at Portland General Electric, who's also the sponsor for the development of a climate change curriculum. Let's listen in as they talk to Tom about educating for climate change. Nicole Berg, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Thank you. Nicole, you're from uh, Portland Public Schools, right? I am. Yes, I'm new to Portland Public Schools. You uh, And you have this amazing title. Um, you're in charge of uh, programs around climate change, but also climate justice. So I, I love your title and your role. You is, Does anyone else in the country have that title? <laughs> That's my knowledge. Um, I would recommend a shorter one if possible, but... <laughs> I've met a lot of sustainability uh, coordinators and, um, and other people kind of working in the operations side. Very few people working in the curriculum side. Well, I love your title and role, and we're going to dive into that. Uh, joining you today uh, is Kimberly Howard. Hi, hi, Kimberly. Hi, Tom. And you're with uh, the local uh, power company, right? Portland General Electric? That is correct. Yes. Well, it's awesome to have both of you guys on the podcast. Nicole, uh, let's just uh, start with your background. You you have a great background as a bilingual uh, educator. Maybe you could tell us how does a bilingual educator uh, come to care about climate change and move into a role that, that helps you uh, expand climate justice? Yeah, um, originally I wanted to go into the field of law and do international law. So uh Spanish is a passion for me. My family, uh, my great-grandparents immigrated here from Mexico, and I had a lot of time growing up with them as a kid um, and shared a lot of stories about their immigration stories and learning about what life has been like for them coming to the United States and developed a passion for wanting to work with Spanish-speaking people as well as specifically with Mexico in, um, in and around immigration and justice. Um, topics. And so I had originally wanted to go work in the consular office in, um, in Mexico City. And life happened. And I ended up um, moving into the field of education um, for the same reasons to, to work for justice for underserved students and populations. So I started out as a bilingual paraprofessional and worked my way through the system, went back to school, got teaching licenses, went back to school, got administrative licenses. Um, and came to um, came to this work largely because of um, when you're a bilingual educator, um, it's a historically marginalized program because it serves historically marginalized students. And so you often have to spend a lot of your own uh, energy or um, free time looking for and developing your own curriculum. Um, and I would apply for these travel grants through the National Endowment for the Humanities or um, the fund for teachers, and most recently was um, as a Grosvenor teacher fellow, and I would explore the world and come back and write bilingual curriculum for my students and kind of take them on virtual field trips around the world so that they could see a bigger world than just our own location. And the National Geographic Grosvenor Teacher Fellowship um, sent me to Antarctica, where I studied 
climate change, climate science uh, on the continent, really, from experts in the field um, on the on the ship. So I came home oh, trying to figure out background. how to, yeah, I wanted to make that huge concept real for kids. And so I've been doing that ever since. Um, so as part of the Grosvenor Teacher Fellowship, um, we went to Antarctica and studied climate change and the implications of the human environment interactions, topics such as you know overfishing of krill or um, the impact of the changing climate on penguin populations and how scientists are able to use Antarctica as a place to understand the greater global um, concerns that we all have around climate change. And so I came back to um, came back to my teaching classroom and um, have been doing that kind of work ever since, trying to get students connected to this very remote and, fo- and foreign place um, that matters very much to the rest of the world. Well, that turns out to be uh, a great background for somebody fighting for climate justice. Um, it's interesting, uh, Nicole, that the, the pandemic that we're going through, like climate change, is really um, impacting historically marginalized populations in a in a similar way. So I appreciate your heart for for underserved communities. Thank you. Yes, it is um, very devastating as we look at the statistics and the impact it's having on even our families locally as well. Nicole, yeah. what's the um, what's the background on uh, the Portland Board of Education resolution uh, 5272? That was a kind of a groundbreaking uh, 2016 uh, policy that addressed climate change. Where'd that come from and what did it say? Yeah, in 2016, um, members of the Climate Justice Committee in Portland Public Schools is um, a group of teachers and students and community members uh, and uh, and just other strategic partners came together and said, um, let's take a look at this. This is the biggest issue that's impacting our children today and it absolutely will be impacting their future. Why aren't they learning enough about it and or why aren't they learning about it at all? And so part of the resolution, um, the students brought to the school board to say, we're, we want to learn more about this. Our textbooks that we're using in our classrooms are not providing us with accurate information. In fact, a lot of misinformation or denial of the, of the situation. And we want our, uh, we want to, we want to be able to engage in this topic. We want to be leaders. This is, this is our generation's issue. And so the students rallied the school board. Uh, the school board did commit to some resources and the beginning of um, a revision of curriculum in the district, which began both at central office and in classrooms. So there was the climate justice committee had been holding a lot of different workshops for teachers to help them um, redo their curriculum or implement new curriculum. And at the central office, there were efforts to uh, do a, a system-wide um shift in the science curriculum to in, include very specific climate science as aligned to nas- uh, next generation science standards. And three years later, um, just in 20... 20- I think that was the first policy of its sort in the country. Is that right? Yeah, it was a resolution. So um, I think the next step would be to make more policy around it. Um, but it was it was groundbreaking in that it, it had been the first resolution of its kind in, in the U.S., to our knowledge. And then in 2019, students went back to the school board and said, it's been three years. We are not seeing systematic change. We want to be empowered as youth leaders and um, we want um, a youth advisory. We want some we want some opportunities for our civic engagement 
we want to make sure that every kid, regardless of the student of the teacher that they have or the um, school that they're in, every student in Portland Public Schools um, be taught not only about the climate science side of it, um, but also now what? What can we do? What can we do to be change makers in our world and um, be really um, proactive contributors to uh, solutions in our community and beyond? And so the school board um, said, we agree with you. And they allocated the position that I hold now um, to coordinate that effort to do K-12 curriculum development work to, to facilitate that and collaborate with very various members of our community to make that happen, as well as um, support the development um, and, and sustainability of a climate justice youth advisory and um, help that youth advisory and other pieces of our system kind of work together so that we as an education organization also practice what we preach and we work also on becoming more sustainable as a district. And so that Im impacts facilities and, and um, assets management as well. Nicole, I uh, love that uh, story of the 2019 protest. Uh, I think it was at Franklin High School students or did they just read it in the Franklin High School uh, newsletter? It may have been. It was it was a group of students from all over. Um, I definitely know Franklin students have been involved, Roosevelt students um, and Lincoln students. There are students at Grant that are very involved, Cleveland, Madison. Actually, I've been meeting with several students across the district and they are all very excited about this work. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to see uh, student uh, leadership on this topic. Kimberly, why does uh, Portland General Electric care about climate change? So we're interested in a clean energy future for all of our community. Um, in, in 2019, we started work on trying to accelerate a transition to clean energy, um, which, in, which included modernizing the grid and included really working and focusing on transportation electrification. Um, we have 25% of our customers are buying 100% green energy. We have our, our local city uh, leaders asking for 100% green energy in the municipalities that we serve. And we have, we started work, we broke ground on the first of its kind, Wheat Ridge Renewable Energy Facility, which is a combination of solar, wind, and battery storage, which provides the kind of load that you can't actually have with one by themselves if you know renewable energy. It's really PGE's commitment to be responsive and to partner with our community, knowing that the climate emergency that we're in is a big one and knowing how much we um, as human beings rely on power for our lives. Um, and if we're gonna rely on power and we're gonna increase that reliance on power, then it needs to be affordable, reliable, and it needs to be clean. So we have, have a several components, right, of this clean energy future and also a long history of being part of our community in terms of education. So we've long given scholarships to college students. We've long engaged our PGE Foundation in supporting education nonprofits um, in our K-12 space, as well as our community colleges and our um, four-year post-secondary universities and colleges. So when we announced this partnership with Portland Public Schools, it was not out of the blue. It was really PGE looking at our purpose as a 
energy partner in the community and seeing an opportunity to help the students who were calling for this information to elevate their voice in the conversation and to empower the next generation to create cleaner, greener, more equitable communities. We launched this exciting partnership with PPS as part of a multi-pronged, multi-year initiative that we're calling PGE Project Zero. Um, and the PPS, or excuse me, the Portland Public Schools partnership is at the center of it. So really giving the young people the information that they need, um, that they're calling for, the, the giving them the mic, if you will, so that they are the it, at the head um, of the work um, for them, right? With them being at the center of it. So that's why PGE wanted to, Portland General Electric wanted to partner in this way. And we're super excited to be part of it. it it's great to see that kind of leadership from uh, the local power company. Um, Kimberly, just a question about you. You're an experienced actor. I'm curious how you came to lead the corporate social responsibility initiative like this. That is a great question, Tom. Thank you for asking it. I, uh, my work as a performing artist has always been centered in community engagement. When I was in graduate school at Columbia University, um, I studied the kind of theater creation um, that was informed by theater greats like Peter Brook um, and Jerry Grotowski in, in England and in Poland. Um, they were making work that was at that, at that time in the early 70s, they called it avant-garde or experimental, but it was really the theater as a way to highlight a social issue that was impacting all of us as human beings, to shine, put a mirror on it and then turn it inside out so that it would generate dialogue and there from dialogue generate action. Um, and so that since that is my theater training and how I grew up in the theater, that works continued when I, after graduate school and in, in the Portland metro region where I kind of, I guess, cut my teeth as a performing artist, if you will. And I worked with a lot of theater companies in Portland and then became part of Sojourn Theater, which is now um, a test wing of the Center for Performance and Civic Practice. So it, it, is, it is in my blood to do the kind of community engagement work that corporations like Portland General Electric um, do as part of corporate social responsibility. Uh, it is in my DNA and also in my training to be strategic about that, um, to connect the dots and to, to seek out partners to do that work, to know that we have a resource that we bring as the energy partner and that there are others in the community that have their own resources and to be a thought partner at, at the table. And so I became an actor because I was passionate about telling um, and exposing and sharing the human experience. And then as life happened, I, after a decade of having three jobs, because if you're a performer, especially in, in a, an area like Portland, where my, my performing arts career was not paying the bills entirely, I had three different jobs, including being a teaching artist in the schools and also having my full-time job as at, at that time as the director of catering for a local restaurant. And at night going into rehearsal to create theater that I had already, I've already described as being having a social um, focus. 
and then community engagement focus, I got tired. So I got to the end of my 30s and I thought, I can't do three jobs anymore. And my first opportunity to work in um, advocacy and philanthropy came through the state of of Oregon, um, a a unique tax credit um, called the Oregon Cultural Trust. You may be familiar with that. So I became an arts advocate and uh, a, a, a grant maker with, through the Oregon Cultural Trust. And then when Portland General Electric um, said that they were hiring a community engagement strategist, I, I signed up or I put my hat in the ring. And because I had the connections with the nonprofit community and I had this background of having worked in all three sectors, the private sector, the, the community-based or nonprofit sector, and in the public sector working for the state of Oregon, they felt like I was a good fit for this work. And here we are. That's really exciting. Um, since both of you have such interesting backgrounds, I have a surprise for you. Um, we're going to do a little instant poetry. Uh, <laughs> Bill, uh, Bill Stafford was the uh, poet laureate of the state of Oregon. Uh, he died a few years ago. Um, he has this poem called The Way It Is. Mm. And it says, there's a thread you follow. It goes along, uh, it goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you're pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die. You suffer and you get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. It's. It, I, I thought of uh, Stafford one because it's. Uh, he's he's Oregon's greatest poet, uh, but the idea of a, a thread that runs through both of your backgrounds that, in interesting ways, has brought you together around this really uh, exciting initiative. And so, uh, Kimberly, sometimes the the arts are uh, the the best way to make the case, right? Absolutely, Tom. That I you couldn't I couldn't have said it better. Thank you for sharing that. And William Stafford's one of my favorite poets, so I'm I'm doubly inspired now. Uh, have you read the book that his son did, Kim? I've read parts of it. Um, yeah, he he wrote a memoir, uh, kind of of his of his dad, and it's beautiful. It includes a lot of Bill's uh, best work. So we'll add that to the show notes for everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Um. Nicole, uh, this this is the the uh, skeptical question you probably get uh, from the TV folks that follow you. But is it at all weird for you? Do you have any concerns or limitations that come with a, having a public energy company sponsor your uh, your climate curriculum? Um, yes, there is some skepticism, and I think that that comes from um, just people not being in the room together. Um, A lot of fear comes from not being in relationship with one another. And often our paths don't necessarily cross as, um, you know, energy people or as educators or as activists. And sometimes it feels like we could be very diametrically opposed. And there are long histories of um, injustices that are perpetuated both in education and in, um, in the energy field. I mean, those, those are just very clear um, issues. I think that through my relationship um, that I that Kimberly and I built together through our relationship, I think from my perspective, um, Kimberly is a is a wonderful human being. She's a wonderful human being to work with. Um, 
very talented and also genuinely concerned about contributing to solutions um, and not perpetuating problems. Um, and, and in our conversations together, it's been very evident that, um, that, you know, her vision and PGE's vision is to, is to be a support and to help enhance um, curriculum development efforts and youth leadership and not to supplant or to, to create, they're, they're not coming in with the agenda of they're creating the curriculum. They, we, we're working together. They know the field of energy. They have experts in the field. Um, we have, they have scientists, they have biologists, they have um, people that work in just all different areas of energy. And that's the kind of knowledge that I know as an educator, I don't have. So I have strategic skill sets around developing curriculum, offering students um, engaging learning opportunities, working with educators, leading different kinds of professional learning. But that's that's a different skill set than an actual practical um, application of someone working in the field of energy. And so I feel like our partnership um, is is very symbiotic. It's you know we um, we can offer students connections to real people doing real things in the real world as well as the real people doing real things in the real world, learning from our students as, you know, as the next generation, as this, uh, as their leadership is unfolding, learning from them about, about um, things that could help improve their work as well. And, um, and vice versa. So um, there has, you know, there's been a little bit of, you know, just hesitation, but I, I truly feel confident that this partnership um, is positive and that we are going to, together do things that um, I know as an educator, I've never seen done before. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, that's great. It, that partnership reminds me a little, uh, one of our favorite schools is Energy Institute High in Houston. And they partner with uh, a lot of the energy companies uh, there, but uh, they're you know really clear uh, that occasionally there's gonna be disagreements about uh, particular topics. Um, but it's a, a very productive relationship with uh, with industry. So th this feels like a a, a great uh, relationship. I, I appreciate the partnership uh, spirit that uh, that PG has brought to the table. Um, I'll I'll have Kimberly tell us more about that. But before we do that, Nicole, just uh, tell us a little bit about how you're developing the curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, for. We do have a plan for K-12 scope and sequence um, that has at least one unit at each grade level in science and in social studies that addresses the climate change and climate justice um, sides of all of this issue. Um, as we shift um, to distance learning, as we kind of navigate new waters, and as our district is also shifting through our visioning process, um, we are trying to move more towards integrated transdisciplinary curriculum um, through our through one of our um, vision components of um, transformative and and uh, um, transformative curriculum that promotes students to become um, global leaders and innovators. So. Um, I think that the one unit at each grade level is more like one whole unit that can show connections between science and in social studies. Um, the, the most innovative and the most immediate piece of the curriculum development that's happening is coming up this summer. And we are um, doing the first of its kind, really um, an integrated interdisciplinary high school elective course that is going to um, 
be developed by teams of educators and students in collaboration with each other from different high schools in Portland, public schools. That's great. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very excited about that process. Uh, By the way, Nicole, I'm working on uh, with AI for K-12 curriculum units on what kids should know about artificial intelligence. So maybe that can be your next Hey. Initiative. Uh, I think it fits. Uh, it fits together uh, quite well in terms of being a a blend of science and social studies, and really looking at uh, social impacts. And as we talked about at the beginning, particularly in in uh, uh, underserved communities. Um, Kimberly, how are uh, PGE employees going to be involved? Well, we're super excited. To be in uh, in partnership with Portland Public Schools on this, and I already have started to compile what um, I'm internally calling our climate crew, and they are made up of uh, we like to say we like to call ourselves subject matter experts, but I do like how one of the Portland Public Schools specialists uh, noted that we are coming to the table as thought partners. So. Our thought partners include members of our um, decarbonization team. They um, include members of our environmental services department, and which some of the the biologists and scientists that Nicole has already referenced. We have a, a team of data analytics professionals, which is a new emerging field. Um, and as you talk about measuring climate, measuring weather patterns, um, measuring sort of human connection to um, natural resource and the impacts. There's a lot of data involved. And so we're excited to bring uh, data data analytics to the table. I love that. Nicole, there's your there's your link to the uh, the AI curriculum, right? <laughs> yes. There it and is. I, I told you, Kimberly, I have a I have a I have a master's in energy finance. I'm geeking out over uh, all the data uh, behind this. I think that sounds like a terrific set of experts. Um, and, and they can not only be helpful in helping uh, put this curriculum together, but serve as great uh, curriculum resources and mentors for students, right? Absolutely. Let me give you a, a really specific example. We, we, we tested this, we prototyped um, a, a, an involvement or a partnership with a, a local high school, their, their freshman physics class. So every freshman in this high school take physics and there were th- just over 300 of them. Um, and last spring, we uh, alighted upon them in a general assembly for all 300 freshmen. We talked about our clean energy future. We talked about decarbonization and transportation electrification and the reasons why that was important um, to, the, to, the, to addressing the climate emergency. And or one of the ways it addresses the climate emergency. And then we worked with the students who were creating an integrated, well, they called it a 50-year energy plan, which if you, since you are a former energy finance person, know it's part of every energy company's um, portfolio to every couple of years do an integrated resource plan, which really looks at the combination of energy sources that you are using to generate power. And for these students, the, their culminating assignment was a grid that had been created by um, uh, another uh, sort of curriculum specialist. 
And on this grid, there were a series of emojis. So if they had enough balance of solar and wind, then they had some smiley face emojis. Um, if they had too much uh, natural gas in the mix, then they, the, the, the emoji had like a, a straight line face. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. Um, hydro is good, but there was still, but it's not technically a clean energy source, but it is, you know, cleaner. It definitely has a decarbonization um, aspects. Now I'm geeking out on the elements. But anyways, they did this. We, after, we came back to their classroom after introducing, you know, a clean energy future and the look at what that looks like. And then sat down with them the way that we in, you know, in industry do all the time when we sit down in, in, in think tanks, right? Or in even on, in our teams to do some problem solving. And each of the students got to share some of the challenges they were having with their 50 year energy plan, some of the things they discovered that were exciting. And it was a member of our team that helped facilitate that the way that they might, that um, a manager or uh, a team leader might do when, again, when a team is solving a problem. So it was a real world activity that was connected to their physics assignment to create an, a 50 year energy plan as part of their energy unit. And it's that those kinds of um, solutions that we hope to bring to the table um, as the standards get rolled out and then the, those essential um, questions get asked and then PGE can be a thought partner in. So how do we take that off of the page or out of the, the standards and out of the curriculum and put it into a real world application. That's a great example. Um, Kimberly, I'd love uh, a sense from you of uh, what, what does success look like if this went really well? If things went really well, we would see this curriculum as, we, as one of our goals. We'd see it online and available as an open source. And First, first success would be seen it move beyond uh, the Portland Public Schools District within the state of Oregon. So for Portland General Electric, we would like to see it in for all of our customers, for all the school districts that we serve. Um, and then we'd also like to see it where we have um, assets. So in or a plant assets in Central Oregon and in Eastern Oregon. When then we would love to see schools all over the country be able to use this curriculum to keep this the conversation going and again to empower the young people to feel that they have not just a voice but that the conversation is centered around them and their future and what they see um, as their future. So success looks like the curriculum being finished, it being available K through 12, right? Kindergarten through 12th grade. Uh, the, an offshoot of that would be how is it fully integrated? Nicole has talked about the social studies and science, but more and more, you know, especially in business and industry, when we're thinking about what kind of future workers do we want? What kind of future coworkers do we want? Um, we know we want people that are good problem solvers. We want people that are, um, that can persevere and have grit and tenacity. We want people that are innovative and creative. Um, and linking, thinking about the climate um, justice, climate action, as, as Portland Public School is, is doing as a holistic conversation, there is the science, there is the people part of it. Um, there is the history. There is the, the, how do you articulate or communicate about it? So there is the, the language arts aspect of it. 
Um, and there is the arts, right? There's the creative expression, whether it is students um, actually cr- building a model of what um, weather patterns look like and actually using clay or paint or um, metal, right? To, to do or other any other kind of uh, medium that you can possibly think of, making a video or making a song. So there's there's a, there's there's all these ways in which it is fully integrated that there it is across all disciplines because this the the conversation is bigger than than us as 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 human beings. So the other sign of success would be to, to truly see the outputs and the outcomes be um, that fully integrated, uh, not just understanding but our also articulation of understanding through the ways in which the students deliver their final projects deliver their, um, their, their essential enduring, how is it, what is it, Nicole? Enduring learnings? Essential questions drive the enduring understanding. Enduring understanding <laughs> and how the students really come to show and demonstrate the enduring understandings from the lessons. Hey, this is, uh, it's such a cool initiative. Um, Nicole, any, anything that you want to add in terms of what success will look like for you? three years from now, if this works really well, what, what happens? Um, success to me is students engaged in this learning, students loving what they're doing, students engaged in civic life, um, participating in ways that they hadn't participated before. And um, just to see, to see that happen across our school district and to see teachers enjoying the teaching, um, just joyful learning. That's, that's what success looks like to me. I love that picture. Um, love the idea of uh, project-based learning. Uh, love the, the the vision of the high school class that could be uh, co-constructed. Um, I, I I'm gonna appoint myself uh, to your informal advisory board and stay in touch with what you guys are working on. This is really great. I hope schools around the country take advantage of it. Please do. Yeah, Tom, please join us. You'd, you'd be a great thought partner. Uh, Nic- Nicole Berg uh, from Portland Public Schools and Kimberly Howard from Portland General Electric. It's been terrific to have you guys on the Getting Smart podcast. Thank you so much for inviting us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. A big thanks to Nicole Berg and Kimberly Howard for joining us on this week's episode. We appreciate their partnership and climate change curriculum that will result, as well as the way it will benefit learners in Portland and beyond. And thank you listeners for tuning in to this week's episode. Before you go, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future content and leave us a rating while you're at it. Okay, that's it for this week. We'll see you next Wednesday for our latest episode. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off.